On this week's prequel episode, we follow up on our Practical Magic listener polls and preview Carrie. Hello, welcome back to another prequel episode of this film. This is the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We're just going to get right into it with our patron shoutouts. I put up with you because your father and mother were our finest patrons, that's why. We have no new patrons this week, but we do have our Academy Award winners, and they are Vic Vicious, Matilde, Steve from Arizona, Paul, Jeff Niederhofer, Teresa Schwartz, Ian from Wine Country, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Grey Hightower, Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby Says Air Elemental Cycle Book 4 is out now, That Darn Skag, V Frank, and Alina Starkov. Thank you all very much for continuing to support us. At that $15 a month level, we truly appreciate it, Katie. Let's see what people had to say about Practical Magic. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. On Patreon, we had zero votes for the book, four for the movie, and one listener who couldn't decide. Uh, We had one comment from Matilde, who said, I went with the movie simply because I couldn't get into the book and finish it. I gave it a solid 70 pages try, and it just didn't vibe with me. On the other hand, I've watched this movie dozens of times, and I've loved it just as much, if not more, over the years. I adore everything about it. The music, the tones and their shift, the one-liners, everything. It's a quintessential 90s romantic dramedy, gotta be one of my favorite genres. It's perfectly cast. Stockard Channing and Diane Weist have a rhythm that feels built over years. Sandra is at her her most sweet girl next door, and Nicole has never been sexier and more playful. You don't often see Nicole Kidman having fun in movies, or so I feel like, and it's so refreshing. You know what? I feel like that's kind of true. Yeah. doesn't feel like she's usually having a lot. I mean, to be fair, she has some not-so-fun moments in this movie. True, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sandra and her may not look like sisters, but they play them to perfection. The highs and lows, the ride or die, the silliness, they portray it so well. It's up there with Lilo and Stitch for movies that show the real sibling experience. Sally and Jillian and their personalities and quirks are very much like me and my sister. She never had to drug a guy, and I never accidentally killed one, but yes, I would drag the body if needed, and then lord a favor over her head. I'm going to be the Aiden Quinn defense squad. I have always loved him and his character. It's different to not have a hero or an unbelievable hunk as the ultimate dream guy in this movie. No, he's just a kind, quiet, sweet, normal guy. Isn't that more relatable and down to earth? When it's all said and done, who doesn't want that? Quinn fits the bill and plays him in an understated way, but he still has chemistry with Sandra. I was low-key obsessed with him for a good while because of this movie. Some themes in this movie are underrated, I think. The thinly-veiled story of Jillian escaping domestic abuse is more dramatic and well done than it gets credit for. It shows well how important having someone you can confide in matters in those situations and how critical the support of family is. I also really like the messages behind Sally's story. There's something hopeful behind the spell she casts as a child. It's not so much that she wishes for someone impossible, because when you dissect what she asks for, it's not that extravagant. 
but as she grows older and given that she lacks confidence, it's like she believes that she just doesn't deserve someone perfect for her. And only she can change that, as we see when her aunts try to guide her into a happy relationship and it fails. The family curse is like an excuse almost, symbolically speaking. It's only when she accepts herself, the witch side, and what she wants that it all falls into place. Along with Gary's very matter-of-fact perspective, he doesn't believe in the curse or in the spell, he just likes her and thinks she deserves to be loved. So it's all a reminder to not be afraid to ask for what you want and to believe you deserve it. Lovely. Maybe not a masterpiece of cinema, but certainly a movie with great rewatch value and a staple of the spooky season. I'm so glad you watched and liked it, especially Katie. How could you have missed this one given your age and interests? Now there, I believe a spell was involved. Must have been. Yeah, I don't I don't really I don't really have any good excuse for that. <laughs> yes. Uh but no, that was great. Thank you, Matilde, for that. I agree. I agree uh, pretty much across the board. On Facebook, we had one vote for the book and six for the movie. Annie said, I think I just like the movie better because I saw it first a few times when I was younger. That'll happen. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, Ian said I do love this movie. I remember going to see it in cinemas back when I was in middle school. And now that you brought it up, I don't remember what, if any, marketing they used for it. With the superstitious nature of Singapore, probably not a whole lot, if any. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Always a fan of Sandy B, and she doesn't disappoint in this. The tonal shifts worked for me. They walked the fine line of rom-com and horror rather well, and I do like the grounding realism of the magic. It was refreshing and different to the craft or even Sabrina. Practical Magic made that much of an impression on me, this being the early days of when Hotmail was <laughs> Hotmail um, was the on, on the wise way back. I created and indeed still use the email address based on the dark and unnatural line. I wonder if it's something to do with witchcraft that critics automatically gave it a fail, Believe it or not, Hocus Pocus also did not do well and only gained the cult following through Disney Channel repeats and VHS sales and rentals. I'm with Brian and will fight with him on that hill defending this film. When you said you were covering this movie slash book, I went to the iBooks app and nearly bought the book. My finger hovered over the buy button as I remembered what happened with the Jojo Rabbit book counterpart. Hmm. That's a psychotic rant for another day if you ever cover I that. Know that was yeah, I don't think book. I knew that was based on a book. I thought Taika Waititi wrote it. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> Sounds like while there are marked differences between the book and movie, the book is still the same spirit and likable characters. I won't be as averse to buying the book. If nothing else, this film proves there's nothing stronger than blood magic. I just don't recommend it. Bit violent on the body. I speak from experience. There you go. Uh, yeah, and actually the thing that was interesting is that uh, quite a few of the reviews I saw on Rotten Tomatoes that were not great were actually more recent. Were like from like I think the, I don't know if there was like a 2019. I saw a handful of them were from 2019. I don't know if there was like a re-release or something like that. Hmm. Or like it came out on Blu-ray or something. But uh yeah, and so that that was also interesting to me. And a lot of them, and to me, a lot of them maybe felt just maybe there was some sexism or something. Because a lot of them, a lot of them talked. There was me. the tonal thing, but there was also a lot of them talked about it being like twee or like overly sentimental or overly kind of like hmm. yeah twee, I guess for lack of a better term. 
And I was like, I, I mean, maybe, but not. Re- I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't think I would call the movie twee. Yeah, I don't know. I saw several reviews that were like, it's, it's. I would have to go back and look now. I just after we, after I was looking at the Rotten Tomato reviews just to kind of see like why why does this have such bad reviews? Because you just get like the blurb from the authors and a handful of them of the rotten ones. I was like, I don't agree with this at all. Mm. Like, and they were like, it's like. Because, yeah, it's got a 24% on Rotten Tomatoes with 100 reviews. And a bunch of them, like I said, were, were some of them at least were, a lot of them are from 2019, or at least they say they're from 2019. Filmed in a golden syrupy light, Dune uh, seems to have little ambition beyond making his stars look adorable and hoping we'll have forgotten most of the Witches of Eastwick, which I have not seen the Witches of Eastwick, so it's maybe it's derivative derivative of that. I don't know. Practical magic, in other words, is anything but magical. The only spell cast will put you right to sleep. Uh, disagree I with disagree that. Disagree with that entirely. Maybe it, people wanted it to be darker. It tootles along being cute, but to further its notion of sisterhood and the power of women, it also takes a spin through Thelma and Louise territory, then revisits the exorcist to up the supernatural content. It's enough to make your head spin. So that's the tonal thing. Yeah. Which, again, it's... it's <laughs> not as big of an issue as I feel like people are making it out to be. The film is so twee and polite that it almost passes by without any palpable register of emotion, tension, or surprise. I I just, like, I don't know what movie these people watched. (laughs) Like, I think you could say that about a few moments in the beginning, maybe. Mm -hmm. But, like, I, I don't know. It's so strange. Uh, again, there's another person saying, unfortunately, this is the Witches of Eastwick with its humor and sizzle removed. I, I, I have not seen Witches of Eastwick. I actually have not either. But I guess, yeah, maybe it's darker than this. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Because almost all of these reviews are from 2019 or later. Hmm. Like, none of these that I'm looking at. That's um, interesting. Maybe we all need to go leave Rotten Tomatoes reviews for this movie. Anyways, okay. Uh, let's move on. Our next comment on Facebook was from Terry, a.k.a. my mom, Mm -hmm. who said, I watched the movie for the first time last week, but I haven't read the book. After seeing the movie, I'm disappointed in myself for not having watched it when I came out and every October since. (laughs) I thought it was really terrific. I don't do scary movies. Maybe that's why I avoided it. You may have commented on this. I was listening while driving and broke the episode into several chunks, but I think Jimmy Angelov was a vampire. Hmm. Thought that from the first scene at the pool party where he's kind of standing off in the shadows, wearing sunglasses and targeting Jillian. Explains the reaction when he sees his reflection in Gary's police badge. I think that could be... I think that's really interesting. I, I, it, there's definitely the like kind of uh, implication in the movie, like mm-hmm. they they play around with that with him being from Bulgaria, or, right? Like, they, you yeah. know, and and um, I think she even calls, it, and the, like the fact that he like doesn't sleep at night and all this sort of stuff. There's definitely, yeah, they're definitely playing with that. I, I, I'm not. I don't know which way I land on whether or not he like legitimately is, like or if they're literally just kind of, a vampire. Like if he's literally a vampire, or if they're just sort of playing with the imagery because of his character. You know what I yeah. mean? Like playing with, alluding to it and kind of giving him some of the characteristics, but he's just like a, a bad guy. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I could I could see either. I think I prefer if he's not an actual vampire mm-hmm. and is just a guy, but I don't think it necessarily hurts it particularly yeah. much for him to be a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's and a I, really interesting. The clues like, are definitely there. Yeah, for sure. 
Speaking of Gary, I am not a huge fan of Aiden Quinn in this role. He's so monotone. I felt the same way about him in Legends of the Fall. Also, Gary? Not a name that comes to mind when I think of romantic hero names. Apologies to any Garys out there. I, I would agree that Gary is I, not necessarily. I would have to agree like, that yeah. it would not be the first name that came to mind for like yeah. my desirable hunky hero guy. No, not necessarily. No. Um, but I, I like I said, as we discussed in the episode, I did like his performance overall. Um, mm -hmm. We talked about some people didn't uh, for the same reasons that your mom cited there. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, I think it works, but yeah. I, I can he's understand definitely. It. And this kind of echoes back to what Matilde said. Um, he's giving a different kind of performance yeah. than you might expect for this type of character. Yes. So, you know, it's going to work for some people yeah. and it's not going to work for others. Yeah. I definitely understand the idea of why somebody like, unlike the fact where I don't understand people who are like, oh, this movie totally is like all over the place and a mess and doesn't work or whatever. I think I'm like, I don't I don't get why people would say that. Uh, I mean, it is totally all over the place, but I don't I think it works perfectly. And I don't understand why people say that. Whereas if somebody says, I think Aiden Quinn's a little kind of boring in this role, I would be like, mm -hmm. yeah, like I get yeah, what you're I, saying. I, get, I, get I, I, I like it. I think it <laughs> works. But I like I get where you're coming from. All in all, loved the movie, especially loved the gathering of the school moms for the coven. Heck, I'd have jumped at the chance, and I'll bet fellow grade school mom Melinda Kay would have, too. That's my friend Sarah's mom. Yes. By the way, the phone chain was a thing, all caps. I was always at the bottom of the tree because I was a working mom, but that was okay by me. One more thing. Loved the tequila drinking scene that went from lighthearted and fun to extremely creepy in the blink of an eye. Thanks for covering this film. It may become a tradition for me. Fantastic. Love to hear it. And uh, yeah, great comment. Over on Twitter, we had two votes for the book and five for the movie. Kelly Napier was our only commenter that came out swinging for the book. Okay. Kelly said, this book was just a delight to read. The movie, for me, not huh. so much. You all mentioned how you liked the, the fast tonal shifts, but I didn't. It felt like they couldn't decide what kind of movie they were trying to make. The whiplash between genres was hard to follow. Hmm. I mean, I, you know, it is what it is. I, I thought it worked perfectly. Like I, I mm -hmm. didn't feel tonal whiplash at all to me. It just felt like it was decidedly all of the, like a horror comedy romance. It was yeah. all of those things and it would change kind of fluctuate between them at any given moment in a way that never felt jarring to me. But mm -hmm. Clearly, you're not alone in that because a lot of the critics had. I mean, feelings. I guess it's kind of similar to the thing with Gary's character is that it is kind of a different thing. So it's going to work for some people really yeah, well and not for others. I guess. I Like I said, I mean, I just said that I that this is the thing that I don't understand because yeah. to me it works really well, whereas I can kind of see what people are talking about with Aiden Quinn's performance. But it, for this, it it. <sighs> To me, it feels exactly it's funny. She mentions Buffy, but to me, it feels exactly like watching like a Buffy episode mm -hmm. or or Doctor Who or something where that those shows can fluctuate kind of. Yeah. Very sporadically right. between silly and funny and goofy to like very serious and kind of intense. And again, maybe it's just, I don't know. I, to me, it just felt like any of those other 
types of movies that do, or shows or whatever pieces of media that fluctuate tonally in this. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it also reminded me kind of of like a Marvel movie in the way that it bounces back and forth between humor and, and all these other things. And again, I, it's, it's one of those things where you're talking about this. There's not really, you know, it's, it's a very subjective thing. It's hard to say like, Oh, explain. It's hard to explain exactly why it worked for me or us and maybe, and didn't work for other people. It's mm-hmm. just kind of one of those things where. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I, and I do think, you know, when you've got supernatural element, to your your media you are going to have to kind of contend with that horror element even if it's not really a horror movie or a horror show yeah per se i think that is something that you do are you're you're going to occasionally have to contend with um and maybe some prod some um maybe some things are just better at it than others or yeah. it works better for people and other things. Yeah, I think the thing that's interesting is I really it I I think the thing that worked for me and I'm tr- cuz I'm trying to like really narrow it down and say like why the tonal shifts work is that I felt like throughout all of it even at its most serious it still had a a, a frosting, a coating of like kind of camp or like mm-hmm. um not taking itself too seriously, even in its most serious moments mm-hmm. that kind of effused through all of it, that, that kind of smoothed out the tonal shifts for me, maybe, I don't know. Like I'm trying you know, like even in the, the most intense, dark, horrifying moments of like the scenes in the car and stuff, there's still this undercurrent of like wackiness to it. That is, I think maybe what made it work, I don't know. I don't know. Again, it's hard to it's hard to explain like tonally like why it works for us and, and not other people. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Oh, so Kelly went on to say, I chuckled to myself while reading the book when they entombed Jimmy under the patio. I've seen enough episodes of Buffy Supernatural and the X-Files to know that someone in the future will break open that patio and let his spirit out. One thing that surprised me in the movie when Sally's kid, I can't remember which one, curses the bully kid to get chicken pox, why didn't we see if he actually got it or not? It just moved on and never showed us if anything actually came of the curse. No, we do it see did, him. It did, though, yeah. yes. We, we did, you might have missed it. It was, it was a blink-and-you-miss-it moment. Yeah. When Gary is going through the town, yeah. um, we get that montage of him like talking to people mm-hmm. about the Owenses. Yeah. There's like a blink and you miss it moment when that mom is talking and the kid is standing by her and he has chicken pox. So, yeah, it does come back. It's just it's very brief uh, and kind of in one scene. But it does. Yeah, it it does. uh, It is paid off. Uh, Over on Instagram, we had zero votes for the book and 11 for the movie. Uh, The movie ran away with it on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, Tashlin Lewis said. Hey, uh, I didn't read the book, and for some reason, I've never watched the movie before this, but I'm really happy that I did watch it for the episode. I have always loved the 90s witchy shows like Charmed and Sabrina the Teenage Witch, so this was a nostalgic watch for me. Nothing to add to what you guys said, but just wanted to say that the bit where the Jimmy character was on the side of the road peeing, I figured he had the car keys with him. That's why they didn't drive off. Seems like he was playing with the keys in his hand when he walked back to the car. This seems abundantly obvious to me now as soon as he yeah, said that's probably... Yeah, this makes perfect sense. 
I would have to go back. Yeah, I don't I mean, obviously, that. I missed yeah, it. Missed if that, he's yeah. like obviously got the keys in yeah. his hands, um, I would have to go back and look. But this makes, that makes absolute perfect absolute sense. sense. So that's probably almost assuredly what happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, and our last comment on Instagram was from Kevin Smith, who said... The Kevin Smith? I don't think I so. I don't think it's the Kevin Smith. <laughs> but it is a Kevin Smith, yeah. um, who said, I have to say the movie because I didn't even know it was a book, but then I didn't enjoy the movie. So should I withdraw my vote? Uh, do whatever you want, Kevin. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't always. I guess on I, sometimes Instagram, I don't we don't like, have a. Yeah, we don't have any other options, yeah, any other on, options Instagram. on Instagram. But um, I, sometimes I don't like either, yeah. and I still choose one because I have to. That's yeah. my job. Yep. <laughs> so how did we break down? The movie won by a landslide yeah. with twenty six votes to the book's three, plus one listener who couldn't decide. There you go. All right, it's uh, time for our, well, not time for it now, but we're, we're getting to our main spooky episode of this Halloween season. We're talking about Carrie, so let's learn a little bit about Carrie the novel. It's the night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there. Even Carrie White, the girl no one likes. Oh, sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! And everyone makes fun of her. The girl who lives in that creepy house with her crazy mother. Carrie is a 1974 horror novel by American author Stephen King. Uh, it is King's first novel in what would go on to be a very long career. King started, when King started writing Carrie, it was actually intended to be a short story for the men's magazine Cavalier, uh, but af um, after a friend's suggestion that he write a story about a female character, um, which is an interesting choice for a men's magazine. But good i guess yeah yeah <laughs> um however after he wrote the opening shower scene king experienced some discomfort with the whole thing um you know obviously he's not a high school girl yeah um and felt uncomfortable about that and he felt like i don't know how i would react to this happening me to me um and then after he wrote about 3 pages he threw away the manuscript uh, but the next day, his wife, Tabitha, got the pages out of the trash and convinced him to continue writing the story with some input from her. Yeah, there you go. So spouses supporting spouses. We love to see it. I don't know if they're still married, so maybe don't hold me to that if they're not. Yeah. Um, but King was able to emotionally connect to Carrie um, by thinking about two girls that he actually had known. Um, when he was younger, one who was like constantly bullied and abused at school due to her family's poverty, forcing her to only wear one outfit to school. Mm. Um, and he talks about uh, these girls in the intro to mm. the edition mm -hmm. of Carrie that I have. Um, and the other was a very timid girl from a devoutly religious family. Huh. Here's a fun fact. The original ending of Carrie 
had Carrie growing demon horns and destroying an airplane thousands of miles above her. Wow. Yeah. Uh, However, King's friend and editor, Bill Thompson, convinced him to rewrite the ending to be more subtle. Okay. Yeah, no, that's... I don't know anything about the movie, so I'm saying that, like... I mean, just going off of that, I'm going to say that was a good call. Sounds like it, yeah. (laughs) Without knowing how what the book or the movie does. It sounds like a good idea. That sounds maybe dumb, but who knows? Uh, It was also Thompson who saw the potential in this project. Um, He saw, uh, in light of recent horror novels' successes like Rosemary's Baby, um, he said, hey, maybe we have something here. And he convinced Lee Barker, who was the executive editor at Doubleday, to accept the novel. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also convinced him to boost the advance to 2500, which was moderately high for a debut novel at the time. Interesting. We'll get back. When I get to a note later, we'll talk about that. Yeah. That number is interesting, though. Okay. I'll just tell you. We'll get to it in a second. (laughs) Um, Although Carrie was marketed as an occult novel, trade reviewers at the time of release called it a horror novel. Um, And based on what I know about it, I feel like horror is a better fit. I wouldn't call it a cult necessarily. I I know. I can't even I literally know nothing about this story other than the the prom scene from the movie. That is the only thing I know. I know like what I have absorbed through cultural osmosis. I I feel like I've absorbed like nothing other than the prom scene. Like I literally have no idea. I think I might know more than you. I think you do. (laughs) It it would be almost impossible not to. Um, In its first year, the paperback edition of Carrie sold one million copies. Uh, The sales were bolstered by the 1976 film adaptation, which we'll talk about in a minute. And Carrie ended up becoming a New York Times bestseller in December of 1976. And it remained on that list for 14 weeks, peaking at number three. Uh, And since its initial publication, Carrie has remained in continual print, which is pretty cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie received generally positive reviews, and it has become a fan favorite. Uh, Various critics considered it an impressive literary debut. Newgate Calendar, which is a person's name, um, of of the New York Times, stated that despite being a debut novel, quote, King writes with the kind of surety normally associated only with veteran writers. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he came out already a veteran. I mean, apparently. it does not surprise me to find out that Stephen King kind of was great from the start. Yeah, <laughs> like, he, he just skipped over yeah. all of the normal <laughs> getting seems, started stuff. Seems, seems reasonable. <laughs> um, Library Journal declared the novel, quote, a terrifying treat. For both horror and parapsychology fans. Okay. Uh, Mary Sheetle of the San Francisco Examiner wrote that Carrie, quote, goes far beyond the usual limitations of the horror genre to deliver a message about humanity. What, uh, what would, does this person think the horror genre is? I was going to say, is? I would take umbrage with that <laughs> because that's all the horror uh, genre does. To be fair, that's all most genres do. That's like, also it's, fair. It's stories being written by humans about humans. It's kind of... <laughs> I. Yeah, that's... Hmm. I mean, I, I can only assume that maybe she's comparing it to, like, like incredibly really pulpy, pulpy yeah like just the the bottom of the barrel yeah like, super bottom of the barrel stuff i guess yeah 
Anyway, um, Carrie launched Stephen King's career as an author. If we know anything about horror, it's that Edgar Allan Poe, maybe the originator <laughs> of the form, I don't know if that's true, but uh, never had anything to say about humanity. Definitely or the, not. Or the human psyche. Or the or, human condition. Or the human condition. <laughs> I, it's just that's a mind blowing thing to write as a critic. I feel like, but I just <laughs> definitely did not tap into the urge that we've all had to wall up one of our coworkers. I, it's just I, th- such a fascinating thing to write. Like I said, you could only be comparing. It she's got to be comparing it to just the worst examples, paperback yeah. dime novels you can come up uh, with. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Carrie launched Stephen King's. The Carrie launched Stephen King's career as an author. Uh, he got two hundred thousand for when he when it was accepted for mass market mm. publication, and that allowed him that money allowed him to quit his job as a teacher and become a full time author. Uh, the novel also established King as a horror writer that wrote about the supernatural, the dark, and the bizarre. Both the novel and its 1976 film adaptation brought King into the mainstream, and he has since become one of the most successful authors in the modern era, uh, with his novels consistently becoming bestsellers, which uh, he's an outlier that should not have been counted, like, in all aspects of his career. We don't count Stephen King. Don't compare yourself to him. Uh, Author Jeff Vandermeer who wrote, um, what is that one that you like with Natalie Portman and the oh, glowing Annihilation. things? Yes, yes. Uh, Annihilation. I thought that name looked familiar, and I was like, wait, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah uh, he said of Carrie's influence, quote, Carrie changed the paradigm by announcing a very American form of horror that broke with the past. That process might have been ongoing anyway, but a lot of horror and weird fiction was still in a kind of post mr james slash lovecraft mode of parchment and shadowy alleys and half-seen horrors and here was king dropping buckets of blood over everything and making characterization more relaxed and more contemporary so according to jeff vandermeer we have stephen king to thank for modern horror okay i mean i that doesn't also doesn't seem completely out of the realm of possibility that doesn't seem wrong (laughs) Uh, aside from the film that we'll be covering, Carrie has been adapted as a stage musical in 1988 that was a commercial and critical failure, mm-hmm. a 2002 television film directed by Brian Fuller that received negative reviews, and a 2013 film starring Glo- Chloe Grace Moretz that received mixed reviews. Mm-hmm. A sequel titled The Rage, Carrie 2 came out in 1999 and also received mixed reviews. Um, And I'm pretty sure I've seen part of that movie. And I thought it might have been because you and Kyle covered it on Good, Bad or Bad, Bad. But I don't I couldn't find it on your YouTube. But I like I'm positive I've seen at least part of the Rage Carry 2. Which feels like a crime considering I haven't seen the original one. Yeah. No, I don't know. It's interesting. It's also interesting. I knew that Chloe Grace Moretz was in the 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 remake in 2013, but that's so funny because she was also in the the American remake of uh, 
let the right one in yeah and let me in yeah like right around the same time she was doing like horror remakes for a while there i guess i guess, like, I guess so interesting yeah very interesting all right uh speaking of adaptations though let's talk now a little bit about carrie the film help the silly woman see the sin of her days and ways show her that if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her. The girl with the strange power. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. But tonight, no one will laugh at Carrie. If you don't have a date to the prom next Friday, would you like to go with me? She's with the best-looking boy in the senior class. He's trying to trick me again. She'll be voted queen of the prom. You know, I can make sure that you don't hurt Carrie White anymore. For Carrie... It will be a dream come true. For everyone else, it will be a nightmare. Carrie is a 1976 film directed by Brian De Palma, who did Scarface, The Untouchables, The First Mission Impossible, among a bunch of other movies. Very famous director. And it was written by Lawrence D. Cohen, who basically just did this, uh, but also did the 2013 remake, uh, was the screenwriter for that. Interesting. Also wrote the 1990 TV miniseries of It. Oh, and... the one with uh, Kim Curry? Yes, I believe that's that one, uh, I think. And then uh, also did uh, an adaptation of The Tommyknockers, which is hmm. another King novel. Uh, and was the, the writer on the musical that you mentioned, the failed musical. Man, it's really. He, he has actually almost no credits other than these like handful of things. It's yeah. This this man is is one for three on adaptations of Carrie. Yeah, <laughs> and it's almost his entire career, uh, other than again That's that so interesting the the, the it series miniseries and then Tommy Knockers and there was a couple other I don't want to say that but there was it was not much else other than that. The film stars Sissy Spacek, Amy Irving, William Catt, Nancy Allen, John Travolta, Beth Buckley, PJ Souls, Sidney Lassick, Stefan Garash, uh, Priscilla Pointer, Piper Laurie, and Ed Edie McClurg. I didn't know John Travolta was in this yes, movie. Yes, as a small part as one of the other students. Yeah. Yep. The film has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, an 86 on Metacritic, and a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb. It made $33.8 million against a budget of just $1.8 million. So it was a pretty big success Not for uh, United. I believe United Artists was the mm. studio that did this one. And it was nominated for two Oscars, including uh, Best Actress, Actress for Sissy Spacek and Best Supporting Actress for Piper Laurie. So mm. Mother and Daughter both got nominated. Neither one, but both were nominated. Uh, which was also uh, a genre movie like this getting nominated. Yeah, that's really that's kind of cool. I yeah. mean, even now it's kind of it's, rare. Yeah, it's not. It's it's like become more common, but it's not still not super common. Yeah, for, yeah, for like a, a like a horror film to get nominations at the Oscars. Um, again, it was the performances, which is a little more common, maybe, but even then, not not particularly. So, as Katie mentioned, Carrie was King's first novel, uh, and as a result, it ended up being the first King work to be adapted into a feature film. Uh, King was 26 at the time uh, that this was optioned, and according to an interview in 2010, he was apparently paid $2,500 for the film rights. That's why I was saying hmm. when you said he got a $2,500 advance for the book. I was like, I wonder if these are maybe facts that have somehow maybe they've melded melded together, together and uh, or or maybe he got paid twenty five hundred for the film rides and yep. twenty five hundred for the advance so. on the book or whatever. <laughs> I, just, I just thought it was interesting that and both I, of those and numbers. And clearly, were the same. this got optioned immediately. Yes, basically, yeah. Uh, but we're gonna get into it. So De Palma read the book uh, on a rec uh, Brian De Palma, the director, read um, uh, 
the book on a recommendation from a friend of his who was a writer who was also friends with Stephen King. Uh, and De Palma liked the book so much, he decided he wanted to direct it. Um, and so he he uh, knew that several other studios were considering going after the rights at the time because uh, the book came out and was kind of blowing up. And so he made some calls uh, about the book saying that he wanted to work to direct it. And according to him, then nothing happened for, I guess, six months, end quote. So he, he called about it, nothing happened. And then six months later, uh, they were able to move forward as uh, United Artists secured the rights. Then Lawrence D. Cohen was brought on to write the film, uh, and the budget was set at $1.6 million, uh, which apparently, for even at that time, was a, was a small budget even in 1975. Yeah. That was considered a pretty small budget for a film like this. Uh, and as a result of that smaller budget, eventually that did balloon up a little bit to 1.8 million. Right. But as a result of the, um, the smaller budget, several scenes that were scripted for the film ended up being cut and not filmed because of financial reasons. Mm. So be interested to see, uh, what, if there's some stuff that's missing yeah. when we get to the film, yeah, it'll be interesting to look some for. of the scenes that you're like, Oh, this wasn't in the book uh, or this wasn't in the movie, but I, it was in the book. Very possible that some of that was cut for financial reasons, depending on what it is. Uh, so uh, I'm seeing several, I saw several conflicting uh, <laughs> reports on, on who De Palma's first choice for Carrie was on Wikipedia. It states that Betsy Slade was his his primary choice for Carrie. And then on IMDb in the trivia and stuff, it says Amy Irving was his primary choice for Carrie. Uh, Irving would go on to play Sue in the film. Mm. Um, but either way, Sissy Spacek was not considered until her husband, Jack Fisk, who was an art director on the film, convinced both her and De Palma to consider the role. So he convinced his, uh, Sissy Spacek to go for the role and he convinced Brian De Palma to consider her for the role. Hmm. And ultimately, um, she would land the role. And she was so determined to land the role that she supposedly skipped a TV commercial that she was scheduled to go shoot um, to go to this screen test for this film. And, and while doing that, she apparently rubbed hair or Vaseline in her hair, dirtied up her face, uh, or not dirtied up her face, but didn't shower for a couple days or something, and then showed up to the screen test in a sailor dress that her mother had made for her in seventh grade. Uh, that had its hem messed up or something, and apparently this got her not not that that exclusively got her the part, but she ended up getting the part. Uh, I mean, after going sounds like she was in character. Yes, already supposedly, apparently. Uh, so during production, uh, director of photography uh, Isidore Mankowski ended up being replaced by Mario Tosi during filming because De Palma and Mankowski did not get along. They mm -hmm. uh, had a quite a tumultuous working relationship, and it ended up with uh, Mankowski getting kicked off the film or leaving. I couldn't find exactly. Uh, so getting into some fun trivia from INDB here, Sissy Spacek uh, prepared for her character uh, by isolating herself from the rest of the cast and decorating her dressing room with heavy religious iconography. She also apparently studied Gustave Doré's illustrated Bible, uh, and she said she would study the, quote, the body language of people being stoned for their sins, end quote, and would incorporate that body language into her performance. Uh, of Carrie. That's what she said. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so while filming the famous bloody prom sequence, uh, Sissy SpaceX trailer was parked right behind the set. And after being covered in fake blood for continuity purposes, uh, supposedly SpaceX refused to wash the blood off and elected instead to sleep in her bloody clothes for three days of filming. Uh, ultimately the prom scene would take over two weeks to shoot and required a total of 35 takes. 
Uh, again, those two n- things kind of conflict, but it's possible that the blood part was only yeah. a few days or whatever, and then the rest of the prom scene, you know, they filmed over the two weeks or whatever. But yeah, oh, apparently God. she she committed because she didn't want the continuity to get messed up, Imagine even though they told her it would be fine. Would be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would have been fine. No <laughs> yeah. one would have noticed. Yeah. Uh, so according to Piper Laurie, who plays uh, Carrie's mom in this, uh, she honestly thought that her character was way too over the top to be taken seriously. And De Palma had to tell her continuously uh, that it was a horror film and not a black comedy. Uh, she thought it was a black <laughs> comedy. And even though he told her this con- consistently, she would she would burst out in laughter between takes because she thought her characterization and wardrobe was like laughable uh, and that the dialogue was, was was like way too humorous. And to this day, supposedly, she still maintains that this film is a black comedy and not a horror movie. Huh which is interesting. Uh, yeah. Despite I, I, everybody else's involvement telling her no. <laughs> so, huh. so I don't, I'll be interested to see if, uh, you know, maybe yeah. who knows. Uh, supposedly, and this is interesting. Uh, Stephen King actually prefers the ending of this movie to the ending that he wrote in the novel. And I, I've solved mm. even beyond that overall, that supposedly he actually just prefers this film to his novel is what Spicy. I have seen is what I have seen. Well, see? Stephen King, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then my last uh, fun fact before we get into some reviews is that Sissy Spacek apparently asked Brian De Palma how she should react um, when Carrie first realizes that she's bleeding in the shower at the beginning. And De Palma told her, quote, it's like you've been hit by a Mack truck, end quote. And I had to include this because it's just so funny. Uh, so then Spacek went and talked to Jack, her husband, who was the art director on the film, uh, who apparently as a child had been run over by a car while standing in the street looking at Christmas lights. And then she used his description of this experience as the basis for her scene because De Palma told her it's like you've been hit by a Mack truck, which is such a weird roundabout. <laughs> I don't know. This is all very strange That's to also me. also like... I. That's a weird way to describe I agree. what's happening in that scene. Yes, I agree <laughs> that his direction there feels really weird to yeah. me. And then her way of interpreting it seems kind of weird. And then, like, it almost seems to me like he said that line, like, as it, it seems like kind of a poor way to get across, like, her shock and surprise or yeah. whatever. And then she took it very literally. Yeah. <laughs> and then I don't know. And just like luckily her husband happened to have been yes. hit by a car it's once. It's all very strange. I don't. <laughs> the whole thing is just very funny to me. But getting to some reviews. Pauline Kale of The New Yorker uh, said that quote, Carrie was, quote, the best scary funny movie since Jaws, a teasing, terrifying, lyrical shocker, end quote. Uh, Take One Magazine's critic Susan Schenker said she was, quote, angry at the way Carrie manipulated me to the point where my heart was thudding and embarrassed because the film really works, end quote. Uh, in a 1998 edition of The Movie Guide, uh, they said, quote, Carrie is a landmark horror film. And then Stephen Farber, uh, writing for the 1978 issue of New Westwood Magazine, uh, kind of prophetically wrote, quote, it's a horror classic, and years from now, it will still be written and argued about, and it will still be scaring the daylights out of new generations of moviegoers. And hey, here we are writing and arguing about it. Yeah, there you go. And then this one's fun. Uh, Quentin Tarantino actually put Carrie at number eight on his list of his favorite films of all time. Hmm. Uh, and then, uh, actually, I think this is a slightly more negative review. Uh, Andrew's, Andrew Saris, writing for The Village Voice, said, quote, There are so few incidents that two extended sequences are rendered in slow motion as if to pad out the running, running time, end quote. 
And then Siskel, uh, Ebert's partner, writing for the Chicago Tribune, gave the film two and a half stars out of four and called it, quote, a crude shocker with a little style. Uh, but he did praise, quote, the strong performances uh, and going on to opine that the movie falls apart during the climax, climax which he described as crude and sloppy. End That's quote. interesting because the climax of this movie, I feel like, is the only yes, thing that people remember pretty much about this movie. Um, but uh, Siskel was not on the same page with our final reviewer, Roger Ebert, writing for the Chicago Sun-Times stated that the film was, quote, an absolutely spellbinding horror movie as well as an observant human portrait, and he gave the film three and a half stars out of four. So a whole star wow. more than Siskel. Uh, Ebert was a big fan, uh, whereas Siskel, not, yeah. not as much. So. The, uh, the criticism about the the slow motion sequences padding out the running time yeah. is really funny to me because that's the kind of thing that you guys would point out in Good, Bad, or Bad, Bad. Yes, I'll be interested to see because I've watched some of the prom scene again because I, I did uh, uh, kind of a spoof homage to it uh, for a project not too long ago. So I've watched some of the prom scene. I'm sure not mm -hmm. the whole thing, but like the main part that people know. And there is a lot of like kind of repetitive editing and yeah. slow motion and stuff uh, that it's, it's hard to tell watching just that clip how well right. it works in the context yes, of the film. Yes, in the bigger picture. Uh, in, the, in that scene, it feels a little kind of redundant and like, yeah, but it could work tension-wise and stuff and pacing-wise with the whole movie that it could work. It's Again, it's hard to know just watching that one scene completely out of context. So, All right, those are all the stuff, fun facts and everything we had about Carrie. Uh, we want to remind you, if you can do us a giant favor by heading over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Goodreads, any of the social media platforms, make sure you follow, like, subscribe, do all that stuff you can so you see our posts and interact with them. We'd love to hear from you. Head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to us. Drop us a little five-star rating. Write us a review. And if you head over to patreon.com slash this film is it, support us there. Uh, you get access to bonus content. We would appreciate that a lot. Uh, this month for October, we just watched last night our October bonus, which was Black Swan. We will be recording that here very soon, and that will be out in the next week or so. Uh, our discussion of Black Swan. So look out for that. $5 and up. Patrons, Katie, where can people watch? Carrie. Well, as always, you can check with your local library or a local video rental store if you still have one. Uh, odds are good. One of those places is going to come through for you with this one. Yep. You can also stream this free through Canopy, mm. according to the, the Internet. One, I no? think so. And I don't really know how Canopy works. I don't either. Like, I don't know if you need to have a, a corresponding library subscription or not. Yeah. but. According to the internet, you can stream this free with Canopy. Uh, and that, just so. in case you're searching for that, it's spelled K-A-N-O-P-Y. Yeah. So if you're looking for Canopy, that's what it is. Uh, you can also stream this with a subscription to HBO Max or Paramount Plus. Okay. Or you can rent it for around 2 to $4 from Redbox, Apple TV, Amazon, Vudu, or DirecTV. All right, yeah, those are the places you can watch Carrie. Uh, this should be fun. I again, I'm for a movie that is you know kind of as prolific as mm -hmm. this film is. I truly know nothing about it. I know some things, but I've never seen it. Yeah, um, and I don't know all that much about the book. So yeah, cool. Well, that's what we're talking about. Come back in one week's time. We've got Carrie. Until that time, guys, gals, on binary pals, everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.